go, ladies and gentlemen, a very warm and fuzzy welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, September 14th, 2021, and significantly, it's also the eighth day of Tishrei. So it's the eighth day of the new year, 5782, which means that tomorrow is the ninth, and the next day is the tenth, so you guessed it, tomorrow is the eve of Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur begins tomorrow night. So very special time of year very special week and this will be our um not last one of the week but this will be the last dpp before yom kippur and then we'll come back friday please god friday um uh to, to finish off the torah portion so today we're going to jump back into our this week's torah portion which is called hazinu it's the great song of the covenant it's written i showed you guys yesterday a picture of the torah it's written in skinny columns. It's written kind of as, as poetry as opposed to a narration. Um, and it's got a lot of deep messages. It talks about the prophecy for the future, as well as um, what we're supposed to be doing as a people. So let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with you in just a moment. Give me a second. Hold on. Okay, here we go. Reading number three. I'm sharing my screen with you. Let's jump right in. Okay, so Moses began the song yesterday by calling as witnesses, calling upon heaven and earth. Um, Rashi explained because heaven and earth will be around for a while and also they are the channels and the conduits for the blessing or the opposite. They either... The rain falls and stuff grows, or it doesn't. One of those two options. Um, so that is uh, the significance of heaven and earth. I said yesterday that Moses was closer to heaven than earth on the last day of his life. Okay, and the nature of it is, the, um, the, the nature of Hazinu is Moses telling the people what to be aware of, what to be careful about, to, stay, to encourage them to stand the straight and narrow, because if they don't, it's not going to be Good. And so he speaks of the future as though it's either the present or the past. So he's speaking of the future life of the Jewish people in Israel and beyond, kind of as though it's, um, it's like a past, uh, kind of looking at it in retrospect years later. So let's jump in. Uh, you see the text here, reading 3, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 13. Um, this is when the Jews went into the land, will have gone into the land of Israel. So Moses says, he made them, God made them, the Jewish people, ride upon the high places of the earth, that they would eat the produce of the field. He let them suck honey from a rock and oil from the mighty part of the crag. What's the crag? Who knows? Let's see Rashi. Rashi explains... This verse is understood as uh, rendered by the Targum. The Targum is the, um, the Aramaic translation of the Torah. That's also a commentary. It's a reference. It refers to the land of Israel. This entire verse is referring to when God took the Jewish people into Israel and they lived with tremendous wealth and opulence and luxury and blessing. And again, just to be very clear here, this is Moses speaking to the people that have not yet gone into the land about what's going a future perspective looking back and saying look what God did taking the Jewish people into the land of Israel and giving them all of this incredible blessing so it's about high places because as Rashi says it's a reference to Israel because Israel is higher than other countries they would eat the produce of the field suck honey from a rock um so Rashi explains, it once happened, this is from the Medrash, it once happened in a place in Israel called Sikhni, that a man said to his son, bring me pressed figs from that barrel. The son went to the barrel, but instead of finding pressed figs, he found honey flowing over its brim. The son retorted, but this is a barrel of honey, not figs. His father responded, dig your hand deep into the barrel and you will, be, you will bring up pressed figs from it. Pressed figs are as hard as a rock. Thus we have an illustration in the land of, in the land of Israel of sucking honey from a rock. So in other words, 
This is where we see this idea that even in the pressed figs, it was so um, blessed that it was oozing honey. Okay. Um, and oil from the mighty part of the crag. So uh, Rashi explains this refers to olives of the place in the Galilee called Giskala. Giskala. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's talk with Rashi out for a second. Let's get back inside. The cream of the cattle and the milk of sheep with the fat of lambs and rams of Bashan and he goats with kidneys of wheat and it, the congregation of Israel, would drink the blood of grapes which was as the finest wine. Moses, again, is saying, looking forward and then looking backward, looking forward into the future, saying, look at how amazing life was when God first took us to Israel, when we were there and riding high and eating and drinking and enjoying life. But what happened was, again, this is a prophecy of what will happen, but it's looking in the future. What happened was, Moses says, and Yeshurun became fat and rebelled. You grew fat, thick, and rotund. Israel forsook the God who made them and spurned the mighty rock of their salvation, Shamanta, Avisa, Kasisa. You grew fat, thick, and rotund. That means, basically, that you were so blessed and things were so good, number one, you became arrogant, you took it for granted, and you said, who, needed God? who needs God? Life is so good, who actually needs God? We don't need God when we're living with such luxury. Sure, when times are difficult, we need to call on God for help. We need to ask God for, for blessing. But when things are good, God, we got this. Moses says that was the mistake. That's going to be the mistake. And looking back in history, we'll, have, we'll say that was the mistake. And they provoked his zeal. Again, provoked his past tense. I hope, I know I'm saying this like 10 times already. But Moses is standing before the entry to Israel, looking forward into history, a thousand years, two thousand years, saying, we lost it all. What happened? This is what happened. They went in and they had the blessings and it was amazing and they took their eye off the ball. They forgot about God. And then they provoked 16. They provoked his zeal. With alien worship, false foreign worship of false foreign gods, they made him angry with, abom with abominations deeds. They sacrificed to demons which have no power, verse 17. Deities that they, sorry, deities they did not know, new things that only recently came. Try this God. He's our newest addition, right? Which your forefathers did not fear. You forgot your, the mighty rock who bore you. You forgot the God who delivered you. Moses is predicting what will happen and why it's going to happen. It's going to happen. What's going to happen? Turn away from God. Why is it going to happen? It's going to happen because life is too good. Life is so good. Who needs God? Let's look at Rashi. Again, this is very poetic. Every line of the, of the, of the Torah's text has a paragraph of commentary on it. Look at how, how thick the commentary of Rashi is on this reading. But let's do it inside because we want to get the full picture. Okay, here we go. The cream of cattle and the milk of sheep. I think that's where we're up to. Yes, that's where we're up to. Verse 14 in the Rashi. So Rashi explains, This took place in the days of Solomon. As Scripture states, in Solomon's provision for one day consisted of 10 fat cattle, 20 cattle from the pasture, and 100 sheep. That's a lot of provision for Solomon. I'm sure he did not eat that himself. I'm sure that was a, uh, a staff meal, perhaps. With the fat of lambs, this took place in the days of the ten tribes. With the northern kingdom of Israel, Scripture states, and who eat lambs from the flock, from Amos. Fat kidneys of wheat. Again, Rashi is supporting, based on our sages, Rashi is supporting where in history did these prophecies come true. When did the Jews live with such luxury? So pretty much in the times of Solomon. Fat kidneys of wheat, this took place in the days of Solomon, as scripture states in Solomon's provision for one day consisted of 30 car of fine flour. And it would drink the blood of grapes as the finest wine. This took place in the days of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, as scripture states, who drink wine in wine casks. 
They were living large. The cream of cattle. This is the cream that's scooped from the top of milk. Rashi says the milk of sheep um, means the, the milk of sheep. Let's continue. Um, okay, these are a lot of grammatical things. Okay, the rams of Bashan. Why Bashan? So Rashi says because they were fat. They were the, the, good, the good rams. Um, kidneys of wheat. Wheat as fat as the fat of kidneys and whose kernels are as large as kidneys. Well, that's some pretty large kernels of wheat if they're as large as kidneys. The point is, this is very, um, very robust blessings. Blood of grapes, they would drink good wine. The flavor would be that of, wine, of a wine of high esteem. There you go. Let's skip that. Let's go to the next one. Verse 15. Um, I don't want to do the grammatical stuff, but more the commentary. Um, Let's continue. Nope. Here we go. The spurn, the mighty rock of their salvation. Let's do this. Rashi, the last one of verse 15. They disgraced and despised him, God. As scripture states, about 25 men with their backs toward the heichel of the Lord and Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel was shown these treacherous men who had turned the backs of the temple in the west and were bowing down to the sun in the east. Look at that. He was shown other abominable acts as well. However, there can be no more despicable act than this than turning one's back literally on God in the temple and worshiping, bowing down instead to the sun in the east. That's like the worst of the worst. That's what happened. They went from the, from the greatest heights, physical, materialistic heights, to the lowest spiritual depths. They provoked the zeal with alien worship. Let's continue. Um, all right, let's skip that. Verse 17. Uh, let's go. The Targum renders it which have no power. Here we go. These are demons, these are gods which have no power, Rashi explains. For if they had power, God's jealousy would not have been doubled as it is now. In other words, okay, if there's another force that has power, no. Okay, so then you, you were unfaithful to something else that had something to it, substance. But you were unfaithful, God says, to something that has no substance, to a paper God. That's very, that, that's very offensive, right? It's like in business, for example. Yeah, you lose a client, they went to another, uh, another vendor. Okay, if they offer a good service, whatever, that's one thing. But if they, they offer nothing, then, then that's really, uh, you know, you really get offended. <laughs> you went to that company over my company. So, so that's, uh, that's what's going on here. New things that only recently came. Rashi says these deities were so recent that even the heathen nations were not familiar with them. You know what that means? The Jews were early adopters of idols. In history, Jews were early adopters. Like, oh, what's the latest trend in idols? Right? Bleeding edge. Worship of idols. Like, you heard about the latest and greatest idol to come up? Let's get it. You know what's happening today at 1 p.m.? You guys know what's happening? The latest, the latest idol will be unveiled at 1 p.m. You guys know about this? The Apple uh, announcement? Apple is going to announce its, uh, its latest and greatest. By the way, this is not anti-Apple or anti-tech. This is just making a comment on the world we live in. There's a press conference and videos, and it's going to be a whole production. And what's the, uh, what's, and, and what's the end result of the production? Selling phones and the new AirPods and maybe a new operating system, whatever it is. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing. It's taking place today at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so what's the point? The point is that when it comes to a new device, people are lining up. Sometimes people line up, right, to get the latest device. They'll line up outside the store. I don't know if they do that anymore. But back in the day, yeah, people would stand in line all night to wait for the, to be the first in line to get it. Why? You can get it next week. You can get it delivered to you. No, it's not good enough. I need to be the first one to get it. Why, why do you need the first one to get it? You, have no, you don't have a phone. You, you need a phone. A, no, I have a phone. In fact, I have, I have the last iPhone. So why are you standing in line all night? Because it's the new one's coming out. So I need to have the newest first. It's a thing. We call that early adopters. In business, early adopters. It's the first ones to have a thing. And it feels good because you know that no one else has it because they didn't stand in line. But I stood in line and I have it before everyone else. So what Rashi's saying is, explaining the words of Moses, telling the people, you know what's going to happen? You'll have had everything, and then you will turn away from Hashem. 
And not only to other powers, but to powers that have, to things that have no power. Because really nothing else has power. And not only to well-established false gods, but even the new ones. Maybe specifically the new ones. You'll want to be the early, you'll, you'll be the early adopters to all the Mishagas and all the craziness, all the idols out there. That's what's going on. This is Moses describing the downfall as though it's happened before it happened. All right? Foreshadowing uh, doom and gloom for the Jewish people. Uh, which your forefathers did not fear. Oh, sorry. Indeed, if a heathen saw them, he would say, this is a Jewish idol because the Jews are the early adopters. All right, back inside. Which your forefathers did not fear. Lie sit a room. Rashi says, this means which your forefathers, yeah, did not fear. More literally, it means their hair. Seir means hair. Did not stand up on end because of these deities. It is the nature of a person's hair to stand up out of fear. Thus, the word sarum is explained in Sifri. Okay, the word sarum also means, may also be explained as stemming from the word seirim is in the verse seirim will dance there, where seirim are demons. Thus, our verse means your forefathers did not make such demons. Okay, it could mean demons or fear or hair. Either way, the point is these are, these are not old, established idols. These are the new ones, and you'll still be running after them. Let's continue. You forgot the mighty rock who bore you. You forgot the God who delivered you. Again, Moses is not saying you did this already, but looking forward in history, you'll look back and say, we did this. You forgot. Um, who delivered you like out of the womb. There's a womb reference there. Okay, let's continue with reading number four. Reading number four picks up the theme. And the Lord saw this and became angry. This is the story of Jewish history. Provoked by his sons and daughters, that would be us. And he said, God said, I will hide my face from them, from the Jewish people. I will see what their end will be, for they are a generation of changes. They are not recognizable as my children whom I have reared. Generation of changes. We'll look at Rashi on that in a moment. But a generation, we can imagine already, a generation of those who switch out truth for falsehood. Not recognized as the children that I brought up, God, God will say. These are my kids. These are the ones that I brought out of Egypt. These are the ones I took care of. They don't even want to know me. They don't want a relationship with me. These are my kids. 21, they have provoked my jealousy with a non-God. That would be uh, an idol. Provoked my anger with their vanities. Thus, I will provoke their jealousy with a non-people. This is what we call mida kenegan, mida tit for tat. Right? We turned away from God with emptiness. So God says, you know what I'm going to do? Done. I'm also turning to a non-people. I'll provoke their anger with a foolish nation. We'll take puppet nations, Babylonians and Romans. Yeah, all full of Meshagas and all full of craziness. And they're going to conquer the Jewish people. A a non-people conquering the chosen people. That's what's going to happen. If you choose a non-God, then this is what's going on. Again, Moses is not saying, if this, then that. Moses is saying, this is what happened. A, a, a prophetic song. For a fire blazed, speaking in God's words, for a fire blazed in my wrath and burned to the lowest depths. It consumed the land and its produce, setting aflame the foundations of mountains. Picture Jerusalem burning or the temple burning or Israel burning. I will link evils upon them. I will use up my arrows on them. I'm going to get back to these verses in a moment. They will sprout hair from famine, attacked by demons, excised by Mariri. I will incite the teeth of livestock upon them with the venom of creatures that slither in the dust from outside. The sword will bereave and terror from within. Young, in other words, from outside, the sword will bereave. The sword will kill and that will cause bereavement, mourning, tragedy. And from inside, there's going to be fear and terror. Young men and maidens suckling babes with venerable elders, men, women, children, elders. No one will be safe and spared from the destruction. I said that I would make an end of them, eradicate the remembrance from mankind. That's almost where it will get to. 
were it not that the enemy's wrath was heaped up, lest their adversaries distort, lest they claim our hand was triumphant, the Lord did none of this. In other words, if not for the nations, those puppet nations that ultimately destroyed the temple, etc., for not for them, if for if not for them becoming arrogant, who knows what would have happened to the Jewish people? But then they became arrogant and said, Look, our hand was triumphant. The Lord did none of this. It was us, Romans, us, Babylonians, us, whatever. We're so strong. We're so mighty. And then God said, oh, hold on one second. Now, now I have an issue with you guys. So that shifts, the, shifts the, um, the, the direction, the attention away from the Jewish people onto the nations that are doing God's work in essentially destroying the temple, etc. For they are a nation devoid of counsel and they have no understanding. They don't realize these other nations, Babylonians, Romans, they don't realize that they are just a pawn in God's, in God's master plan that includes these consequences on the Jewish people. Um, before I do Rashi's commentary, let me just jump in for a quick second so I can see everybody. Does this make any sense? What's going on here? Yes? It's not pleasant to read. But I'm just asking if it makes sense. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Let's get back. Let's do some Rashi's. Let's get the commentary. Let's see what's going on here. All right. Um, so God becomes... I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Joy, jump in. So is he... Is God saying that he is mad now about what's happening in the future? Or he's, is he saying... This is how I'm going to be in the future when you guys are bad. This is actually Moses telling the people of what's going to happen. Basically, Moses is saying, let me take you on a journey 2,000 years from now, let's say, or 1,000 years from now. And then let's look back what happened in the last 1,000 years. God loved you. God chose you. God rescued you from Egypt. He gave you the greatest land ever. You were so blessed and so just amazingly blessed, physically, spiritually, everything. And then what happened? You sold it all for nothing, for garnished. Right? You sold out. You worshipped other gods. And then what happened? Then God became angry. Again, not literally, but... And then this happened and that happened. So this is looking back... This is a prophecy of looking back. So this is really Moses speaking and explaining what's going to happen. Not that God is angry now and not that destruction is happening now, but this is going to happen if we make poor choices. It's almost like imagine a parent telling a child, let me tell you a story. There was once a boy who had a brand new bike, but what he did was he left it. Um, I don't know. I can't think of my fake bike story here on the fly. Uh, but something about the kid neglecting it and then the bike getting damaged or something or riding it recklessly and whatever. And so the message, moral of the story is, don't do that. So you're speaking now about what could be a possible narrative to avoid as you go along this journey. But no, God is not angry now and Moses is not angry now. It's just more of a, of, of a prophecy of what could happen or what will happen if this plays out. These are, these are the consequences. And heaven and earth are being called upon as witnesses, right? Like, we were warned, we were told that if this would happen, that would be the, the, the consequence. And indeed. But it seems like Moses would have wanted to try to make an entreaty to God, say, please give me a little more time so I can make sure this doesn't happen. There's nothing that he could do. I mean, at the end of the day, there's really nothing that Moses could do. There's not, I mean, what's, what's he going to do if he had another 40 years? Another 80 years. People are still the same. <laughs> people are people, and, and that's it. I mean, look, we could learn this as like a disconnected, you know, some strange narrative and poem and song and, you know, Deuteronomy. Has, like, we could look at it as weird. Or we can say, what, well, this is the story of our lives also, right? We get excited about things, you know, we make commitments, whatever it is, and then, you know, we find ourselves distracted. It could be in many different areas, many different areas. You know, I, I, I don't need to give any specific applications. We can all apply it as, as, as we need to. And the message is when we, you know, when, when, when we're not living the way we need to be, it's, 
when we live in a self-destructive, when we do self-destructive things, it's self-destructive. It hurts us, ultimately. And, and, and we should avoid that. And so we know this. We know this, and we, we tell other people this. We're still not perfect, you know? No one is. So that's why the Torah is a living guide. 100%. 100%. Correct. We do this all the time. We do everything, all, all of this stuff all the time. We know it's healthy, we know it's unhealthy, whether it's spiritually or physically. And we're still doing things that are unhealthy. Why? Who knows? <laughs> Always excuses, yeah. Um, so I remember when a relative of mine stood in line half the night to get the first copy of Harry Potter. For nice. Son. Nice. Well, Harry Potter... I don't know if that was... Well, Harry it's, Potter is worth it. It's a relative. It's, no, a, it's an example of what you were saying. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Right, and so again, it, that doesn't mean that iPhones and Harry Potter are trafe and not go... What, it's not about... But it's more about the concept of needing something first... And that's what Moses is saying. You'll not only serve idols, you'll serve idols that have no meaning, no value, no history, even within the idol worship world. You'll want to be early adopters to the point that they're going to say, oh yeah, that's a Jewish, that's a Jewish idol. Anyway, that's how far it's going to go. And then it's going to lead to doom and gloom and destruction. All right, back inside. Let's take a look at Rashi. Um, here we go. I will, hide my face. I will see what their end will be, Rashi says. I will see what will befall them in the end. For they are a generation of changes. They change my goodwill into anger. That's what it means. Not that they change their own behavior, but through their own behavior changing from good to not good, they change God's good grace into anger. Again, not literally, but figuratively. They are not recognizable whom I've reared. My rearing them is not recognizable in them, for I taught them a good way, but they deviated from it. Um, reared is Amun, like Omen. But another explanation, Rashi says, is Amun of faithfulness. Okay, their children have no faithfulness. At Sinai, they said, We will do and we will hear. And a short while they broke the promise and made the golden calf. Okay, fine. Similar, similar concept, just different. Different variations on the, on, the, on the translation, as Rashi describes. Okay, provoked my jealousy, Rashi says, they kindled my anger. With a non-God, with something that is not a God. Okay, we got that. And with a non-people, um, here we go. With a nation that has no name, as Scripture states, this land of the Chaldeans, this people was not. And regarding Esau, Scripture states, you are very despised. Okay, provoke their anger with a foolish nation. This refers to the heretics. Okay, let's say that there is no God. Let's continue, let's continue. For fire blazed in my wrath and, bur <coughs> and burned to the lowest depths. Okay, what's that referring to? Um, burned to the very foundation, the land and its produce, setting aflame Jerusalem. This is a reference, I mentioned this before when I read it. This is a reference to Jerusalem, which has her foundation set upon the mountains. As scripture states, Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. It's built in the mountains. I will link evils upon them. I will link evil upon evil, Rashi says, similar to the verse. Um... Okay, or consume. So link evils. And there's one misfortune after another after another. But also can mean consume. Lest you'll be consumed. Um, oh, it could also mean I will use up all evils on them. Not that they will be inflicted with evil after evil, but I'll use up all my evils, God says, on them. I will use up my arrows on them. Rashi says, and here, this is, I mentioned this, I kind of flagged this when I read it, that I wanted to get back to it, and this is the Rashi that I think is very beautiful. Amidst the, the doom and gloom and the fire and brimstone, there is a, uh, a shining, uh, no, not a shining, there is a silver lining here, and that is about, th th this phrase, I will use up my arrows on them. Rashi says, uh, again, like speaking for God uh, almost, I will finish up all my arrows on them, i.e. until there are no errors left as a word, this curse, according to the usual way retribution is expressed, is really an implied blessing. So, although it's a curse that they're going to be pierced with, that they're going to, arrows will be used up, but it's also a blessing. Namely, God says, my arrows may come to an end, but Israel will not come to an end. They will never be annihilated. This is a very important thing. Now, I, I want to go back to the verse and show you what, what Rashi is commenting. 
he gets it from, you know, there's no source here, but there's a classic understanding of chitzai achalabam. I will use my arrows up on them. So the simple meaning of this is, it's a curse. I will use my arrows on them. They're going to get God's arrows. That's not a good thing. But the deeper understanding, as Rashi points out, um, is actually a blessing in disguise. I will, God says, I will use up my arrows on them and, and t- to the point that I'll have expended all my punishments, but they'll still be around. In other words, I won't destroy them. They're going to they're gonna get hit and hit hard, but they're going to remain standing. The Jewish people will remain. The arrows will be used up. It says, I will use up my arrows. The arrows will be expended. The arrows will be depleted, not the Jewish people. So the arrows will have been, been, uh, been used up, and the Jews will still remain standing amidst the rubble. And that's the story of our history, indeed, as it plays out. That's why Hazinu is considered to be like such a powerful Torah portion, because, and I said this yesterday, and I think last week also, it's literally the story of Jewish history, told before the history happened. It's our story predicted. We've, had, we've faced it all. We've been hit with everything. Yeah, expulsion... Done. Pogroms, done. Burning at the stake, done. Inquisitions, crusades, done, done. Holocaust, done. You name it, it's happened. and All the arrows have been, have, been, have been sent. And we're still standing. This is, this is our story. This is our story. By the way, now, it's a, now is an appropriate time in the conversation to plug our upcoming course, the JLI course on anti-Semitism, called Outsmarting Anti-Semitism, a major focus of that course. The focus is not on the hate. Yeah, because that's, we don't need to focus on the hate. The focus is on going deeper, going deeper than the hate and understanding some very important themes about Judaism and Jewish people and all that stuff vis-a-vis anti-Semitism. So one of the areas that we're going to get into is how have we survived? And what message does our survival have for us today and in the future? Positive messages. So we're going to speak on this theme of survival. But as Rashi says, this is the message implicit in the curse, in this, in this prediction of doom and gloom. There is also, if you read it carefully, there's also a promise, a promise of a future. And again, just to quote this, my arrows may come to an end, but Israel will not come to an end. The Jewish people will not come to an end. The arrows will be done. People will still be standing. Let's continue. Verse 24, Rashi. (sighs) They will sprout hair from famine. Rashi explains. Um, An emaciated... Again, I'm skipping... where Rashi establishes the translation. That's not what we're doing. We, we want to get to the, to the commentary. He says, for an emaciated person grows hair on his skin. Okay. Hair, hair. Okay. Attacked by demons. Demons fought against them, as scripture states, and flying creatures fly upwards. From the book of Job, referring to demons. Shadim. Shindalids, as we say. Okay. Shadim, demons. Um, excised by Mariri, an excision caused by a demon named Mariri. That's the name of this demon. Okay, let's continue. The teeth of livestock. So if you notice, going back to the verse, they will spread, ha- spread hair from, f- from famine, attacked by demons, excised by Mariri. I will incite the teeth of livestock upon them. What does that mean? Rashi explains it indeed once happened, that sheep were biting people to death. The people were attacked by, by killer sheep. With the venom of creatures that slither in the dust, the venom of snakes which crawl in their bellies. Let's continue from outside. The sword will bereave. Again, the sword will bereave means the sword will kill and thus leave families. In a state of bereavement, Rashi explains, outside the city, the sword of hostile troops will bereave them, and inside, there will be that terror. Um, Rashi explains, when you flee, escaping from the sword, the inner recesses of your heart will pound within you out of terror, and you will gradually die from this. 
So there's the literal physical threat of death from the outside, from the sword. And then there's the fear that's just as deadly. Which, by the way, I, I don't want to go too deeply into this, but we have to know that this is a thing. Right? There's practical danger. When I say there's, there's like the physical danger, but then there's also the danger, the internal danger of fear. We have to be careful that even as we protect ourselves from outside danger, that we don't create another enemy inside, which is fear. Are you with me on this? Should I elaborate or we're good? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Again, is it natural to be afraid? Yes. But the, Please elaborate. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you have to be cautious and whatever. But we can't drive ourselves mashuga either with fear. Because fear is devastating. So again, am I advocating, uh, this is not, I, I'd rather say this succinctly and, and ex extract myself from the conversation than get too deep. But the point is like this, that there, there, are, there, there is fear. There's a story of the Rambam. Maimonides there was the, as you know, was the, the, the medical advisor and the chief physician to the sultan in Egypt for a long time, for years. And because of the position that he was in, he faced anti-Semitism. And there were other advisors and officials and physicians that were trying to, trying to um, get rid of Rambam, Maimonides. The stories are well documented. And, um, and there was a lot of effort to, uh, to destroy Maimonides and, and to set him up and to frame him and, and all this stuff. And there, there were competitions and medical competitions and philosophical competitions, all sorts of stuff, many stories told. But there's one story, and the punchline of the story is that there was a contest of who could poison whose food and who could create an antidote to the poison in the other's food? Something like that. So this guy created, poisoned the food. And for some reason, the king approved it. So you had to go along with it because the king said, yeah. The sultan said, this is what we're doing. And so this other guy poisons the food and gives it to Maimonides and he has to eat it. So he creates this antidote and done. Maimonides had to send food to this other guy. He's not poisoning the other guy. He's Maimonides, right? What, what kind of poison? So he sends the guy. Meanwhile, the guy thinks that there is, he's like, and there's no, there's no poison, by the way. The guy thinks, he tells him. He, but he's like, oh, of course you're going to tell me there's no poison. Now you think I, I don't, I'm not going to diffuse it with an antidote, and now it's really going to kill me. The bottom line is, the guy was so paranoid of the poison that the end of the story is he died from that fear. He died of that, he, he just died of that paranoia. And so the point is that there's two dangers. There's the literal danger. In this case, as, as, as Moses says in the song, there's the danger of the sword. And then there's the danger of the fear. Now, does that mean not to be cautious? Not, no, no one said cautiousness is a bad thing. The question is fear, right? Fear. And fear is what is, is part of what we choose to sow or not to sow, right? And, and, and the... Okay, I feel like that's it. We're good. Fear is not healthy. Are we, are we on the same page here? Consciousness is good, but fear is not good. Yes? Good? All right. That's it. Before I go further, that's it. I feel like... All right. But yes, Ray, jump in. Um, you mentioned the area. And if I recall, isn't that one of the groups that carried things for the... For the tabernacle or for the, what, what, isn't that a group? Who? You mentioned Meiri. No, um, yes, but this is some, yes, yes. This different. is a different, yeah, this is a different reference. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were not demon-like. No, I didn't think so. They weren't, yeah, no, but good question. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It might be a similar name, but different, different reference. Um, yeah, yes, Donna. Anti-Semitism course going to at all address. I, I continue to be intrigued by we are the biggest minority in the United States, like less than one percent. Yes. So we're not considered a minority given the you know, given the protections. I right. Mean, you know, 
Yeah. Minority status, right. Right, minority status. Well, that's because we control the media, finance, and, 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 and Hollywood, right? Obviously. So what kind of minority? <laughs> Joking in case you have to put like the S, like the slash S, if this were an online thing, sarcasm. Yeah, joking. Um, will the course address that? I have prepared a few of the lessons on that course, but not the whole thing. I'm trying to remember if that comes up. Mm, I don't know if it comes up directly yet in what I've prepared so far. Um, we can certainly talk about it. We can add to the conversation. Yeah. Either way, we can address it. It's yeah, a good. It's a good topic. It's a good topic. So either it's there or we'll we'll, we'll put it there. No, I don't. You know how nowadays, like in a lot of applications, you have to declare yourself. What are you know? Yes. You know, what's your heritage and things like that? Right. That's always tricky too. Super tricky. Doing that either. Right. <laughs> right. Because Jews are not a race. Jews are not a. Um, I don't know what the other divisions are, but whatever. It's not not any any one given race. Jews are Jews of all of all races. Um, anyway, yes, I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying. Let's jump back in and let's uh, let's finish off over here again. Let's talk about the fear. So there's the actually terror is uh, is the word that's used here. Um, so there's swords from outside, but the terrors from inside. Oh, this is why I said my whole thing, my whole spiel. And you will gradually die from this. What's the, what's the prediction? That people will die from the terror itself. Let's continue. Another explanation. Um, within your house there will be terror of impending fear of the plague. As scripture states, for death has come up into our windows. Okay. I, I'm not going to elaborate on that. Uncleus renders this in this way. Another explanation of outside the sword will bereave, they will be killed by the sword on account of what they did in the streets. Ah, okay. So the, the, kill, the death by sword is what happens in the streets. Correspond to the numbers used in Jerusalem, you, should, you should set up altars to that shameful thing. In other words, what happened on the outside is they set up altars for public uh, idol worship. Along the same lines, means on account of that which they did in the innermost chambers of their homes, as scripture states, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the darkness? Each one has paved chambers. Well, now we want to know. Well, hold on. Ezekiel 8.12, tell us more. <laughs> Have you seen what they're doing in their homes? Click here. Like, well, tell me. Well, hold on. Don't leave me hanging. So outside in the streets, they set up altars for idol worship. And inside their homes, I don't know. I guess we could use our imagination. Let's continue. Ice, maybe also idol worship or other things. I said I would make an end of them, eradicate the remembrance of mankind. Here we go. Uh, God is saying, or Moses is saying that God is saying, I will make an end of them. Um, or I will make them as corners of the field, which are ownerless. In other words, I will cast them away as ownerless. Either, yeah, either way, it's not good. Yes. My translation has, I will scatter them. Interesting. Which one? This one? 26? Yeah, for 26, yeah. Interesting. Okay, scattered also works. I mean... Not in a good way, but in a, yeah, in a, in a doom and gloom way. Um, there's a long Rashi here. Maybe it talks about um, scattering. I don't know. All right, let's, let's skip this. It's a little too long. Yeah, Rashi says that. Yeah, it does Rashi say that. Okay. There you go. Let's, let's, let's go to verse 27. We're not that, my, that the enemy's wrath was heaped up, Rashi explains. We're not that the enemy's wrath was heaped up against them to destroy them. And if the enemy would succeed in overtaking them and destroying them, he would attribute the greatness to himself and to his deity, but he would not attribute the greatness to me, says God. In other words, God is like, you guys destroyed the Jewish people, but don't you realize that was me? It wasn't you. I mean, you did it, but it was because I let you. This then is the meaning of lesser adversaries distort, lest they misconstrue the matter by attributing, by attributing their might to an alien, foreign God, to whom the greatness does not belong. Lest they claim our hand was triumphant for that nation is one devoid of counsel. So basically, the nations that destroy, God forbid, the Jewish people, or the temple, not the people, to destroy the temple and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the Temple Mount, they're going to say, look what we did, and become arrogant themselves, and then the tide will turn the other way. For they are, they are a nation devoid of counsel, they have no understanding. For if they were a wise people, if the nations that destroyed the, destroyed the temple were wise, 
they would understand this, namely, how could one person pursue a thousand? They would realize that their efforts in, that their efforts in, their success in fighting against the Jewish people was completely unnatural and supernatural. And it wasn't them, but rather they're being used as a, as a tool or as a pawn in God's, um, in God's uh, um, consequence taking against the Jewish people. Okay, does that make sense, the last little piece? Yes? Because the way the narrative is going to flip, we're not doing the fifth reading today, but the way the narrative is going to flip is, right, if they were wise, they would understand this, how can one person pursue a thousand? In other words, the nations themselves should realize, well, it's not us. It's God that's trying to get rid of the temple and uh, uh, exile and the Jewish people. So they would humbly destroy the temple and exile the Jewish people. But no, they became arrogant in the process, attributing to their own false gods. And now that shifts God's attention away from the Jewish people. And God's like, so what? I let you do this because I needed this done. And now you're going to take the credit for yourselves. Come on. And then God shifts his, uh, his anger toward the nations and away from the Jewish people, and things rebound. And that's coming up in our next reading, in our next study session, which will be for this, course, for this class on Friday. So a few quick announcements. Oh, sorry, before the announcements. Let's just kind of recap. What we discussed today was the rest, the continuation of the narrative. So it was good, and it was amazing, and then... Yeshurun, which is a reference to the Jewish people or Jerusalem, rebelled. And uh, Yeshurun really means Yashar, uh, the upright ones. Rebelled, forgot about God, sold God out, and bought instead, stood in line for the latest and greatest idol that said, hey, look at me, I'm a new shiny idol. And because of this, God's anger was kindled, and God ultimately destroyed what we had and took us away and banished us and exiled us from the land of Israel. And, uh, and that's kind of what the story, what, what the song foretells. We can look back at it and say, well, this is exactly what happened. But then when Moses told to the people, this was a prophecy, prediction, warning about what could happen if we were to follow the script. And we did. And we're here. We're still here. And the goal is to come back and get back to a better place. So what's the message? What's the moral of the story heading into Yom Kippur? Uh, stay the course. Yeah, stay the course. It's a marathon, not a sprint. When it's good, it's great. When it's not good, it's really bad. But we have to realize it's a bit of a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a quick, it's not, don't isolate one segment of the journey. It's either too high or too low. Look at the bigger picture. In our own lives, we have to realize that there'll be moments and days of inspiration, like Yom Kippur is a day of inspiration, hopefully. We'll be inspired and uh, feel connected with God. But the next day might be one of those, it shouldn't, I mean, hopefully it will also be inspired, but it might be one of those not so inspired days. And the question is, what happens then? Do we rule ourselves out? Do we count ourselves out? Do we say, well, I guess, I guess it's over? Or do we realize we have the power to bounce back? We're not done with the song, which is why we haven't gotten yet to the bounce back part. But without giving away too many spoilers, there will be a bounce back in this narrative, in this restore portion. And the message is true in our lives as well. We have to have that ability to bounce back. There was a football game last night. You guys know about football? Yeah. Mo Monday night football? <laughs> Monday night football. It was the Raiders against the Ravens. Raiders versus Ravens. So what happens? With like a minute left or something. Hold on, no. It was what happened. It was over it went to overtime. Right? Tie game went to overtime. In overtime, the Raiders got the ball first. And they're, they're essentially guy passes the ball, guy catches it for a touchdown. Everyone's celebrating. There's handshakes, the whole deal. The officials, meanwhile, are, are schmoozing and conversing. Turns out the guy who caught the ball for the touchdown didn't actually get a touchdown. Because his knee was down, the ball was like, uh, like a foot or two away from the thing. So they, called, they, they cleared the field. 
They clear the field, all the reporters and the cameras and everything, and everyone goes back to the benches. They, they, come, they come back out. No touchdown. The game's not over. You didn't win. I mean, you're right there, but you didn't win. They still have the ball, first down, and it's, it's not that hard in the NFL to get one yard into the end zone. You, know? you have four chances. I'm just giving a primer on football here if, you, if you're not familiar with it. Akitsa Ramaisa, the, bottom, the, short, the short story is they got an interception. And now the other team has the ball. Now the Ravens have the ball. Oh, the momentum is switched. They thought they won the game. Everyone thought they won the game. There were congratulatory handshakes from the other side and hugs from the other side. It was over. It was done. And then, no, they had, then they had to go through the formality of doing it. But they didn't do it. They didn't win. Interception. The other team has the ball. And now they're going the other way. And then something, another, another turnover, a fumble, something. The Ravens get the ball back. And this time they do score. And they win the game. But you know what it takes? I don't know if that, if, that, if that narrative arc, if that narrative made sense. But essentially, Team A thought they won and had that heartbreak and disappointment of, of, of that not happening in that moment. Tried to win. Tried to punch it in for the touchdown. But it got intercepted by the other team. So now it's real heartbreak. But they didn't give up. They got the ball back. They got a turnover, got the ball back, and then they ended up scoring and winning the game. The moral of the story is, if you isolate the high, it's great. If you isolate the low, it's terrible. But you got to look at the big picture. Don't get too high with the highs. Don't get too low with the lows. Keep an even keel, but keep on moving forward. And don't let disappointment get you down. Because if you got disappointed... Oh, the officials stole the game from us, and then the other team got the ball. Oh, forget it. It's over. If you give up, it's a shame. They didn't give up, and they did win the game at the end. If you follow that, I give you congratulations for following that. <laughs> you get extra credit, extra credit DPP points for, for, for following that. The point is, the point is, don't give up. The ultimate punchline of Hazinu is not to give up. It sounds bad right now. It sounds bad. It's going to be great, then it's going to be horrible. Aye. It's not good. The journey is not yet done. The narrative is not finished. Right? The poem is not, uh, is not yet completed. I mean, we haven't studied the whole poem yet. We're getting there. But there is a, it, gets, it gets good again. It was good. We thought we won it. Then we thought we lost it. Could still win it again. Don't give up. It goes high. It goes low. It can go high again. It's not a problem. It can go high again. As long as we don't get too stuck in the low, we can get back. And that's the goal. Yeah, Donna. Yeah, I guess that's answering what I was going to ask. I mean... We can read the Torah, and now in retrospect, we can understand what happened with Exodus and the, Mount Sinai and the destruction. But in our current situation, you know, with um, the Holocaust and right. and the persecutions, yeah, we we don't have the next level. We can't. But you're saying just have faith. We have to keep on going, right? We have to keep the keep the legs moving forward. Exactly. Very well put. We don't have the hindsight. We don't have that bigger picture thing of seeing what everything is and how everything And we'll never be able to fully understand that picture. It's God's picture. But what we know is that the story is not over. God has expended the arrows. Hopefully there are no more arrows in the um, quiver. It's called the quiver. Yes, did I make that up? Yeah. All right. Hopefully there are no more arrows left. And, uh, and, and we're still here. We still have to keep on moving forward. Not to get caught in the negative. That's going to be a major theme of the anti-Semitism course. Not to get, not to drown in the negative. To understand the challenges, but not to drown in the negative. That's the big idea here. So, Sorry. yes. One quick question. Out sure. of curiosity. Does the Torah reading continue on Yom Kippur, or does Yom Kippur have a special Torah reading? No. So, Torah, so on Yom Kippur, we read, we go back to Leviticus. We turn back to Shemini. 
the Torah portion actually achremot. The Torah portion that talks about the aftermath of the passing of Nadav and Avihu. Remember the two sons of Aaron who passed away? Because they brought the offering and God says, you know, no one's supposed to go into the Holy of Holies except for the high priest on Yom Kippur with a special offering. Well, that's what we read on Yom Kippur because that's about what was done on that day. So we read that, that portion. So yeah, it's a special reading for the holiday. Typically the holidays have special readings. And then, but Shabbat is not a holiday. Shabbat's between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So we resume the regularly scheduled programming of Hazinu um, on Shabbat. So that's why we're studying it to get, a, to get a jump on that. I mentioned yesterday at the beginning of the, of the session that I, don't, I, I, I wasn't feeling the need to do the, um, to explore the reading of Yom Kippur because we did it a few months ago in Leviticus. I mean, we covered that and, you know, that's, uh, I'm sure everyone remembers it in great detail. Anyway, um, so what's the point? We can look at this through history or in, in our personal lives. And here's the bottom line, at least for me. There are days in which we're flying high in a good way and days in which we feel a little bit less excited about things, about good things. The message is stay the course. Don't let the, don't let the highs fly away too high. Don't let the lows bring you down too low. Keep an even keel. It's good to be inspired. It's even better to implement it. The days that we don't feel so excited, keep the legs moving, keep moving forward. Don't not do what we need to do just because we don't feel excited about it. Keep on moving and hopefully the next day will be a better day or hopefully the next hour will be a better hour. So final word of advice that I always keep close to my heart. Um, sometimes, what was that song? When you're feeling down, put on a happy tune. Who remembers that song? Doris Day. Was it Doris Day? Did I just literally pull that out from my memory put somehow on a randomly? Happy face. Huh? It's put on a happy face. Put on a happy face. Was that right. Doris Day or did I make that up? It could have been. Someone fact check me, please. The song is called Put on a Happy Face. Right. And that's it. It's kind of like a clutch car. When it's not getting started, you just have to roll it downhill a little bit, get the momentum going. This is with the uh, disclaimer that I don't know how to drive a clutch vehicle. But you put it on a downhill, yeah, and before you know it, it gets, uh, gets going. Big Van Dyke, bye bye birdie. What is that? Bye bye birdie. That's the it says that's put on a happy face, but then bye bye birdie. Was it? Van Dyke sang it. That was a very cute musical. It had a lot of nice songs. Yeah, I love the Broadway musicals. Nice. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. I'm fact-checking myself. Right. Nope. Um, yeah. A Doris Day when you're smiling. No, I guess... From the 60s. Yeah. All right. Listen, I think maybe in the new year we'll have we'll have da daily power parsha and and uh, musical, like the musical edition of DPP. We'll all break out into. I mean, the whole world smiles with you. There you go. Yeah. Crying. Yes. I don't remember that. Something. Something. Right. Right. So I feel like um, we'll have to have choreographed dance and song. <laughs> For our new year. Okay, so that's it. So um, that's it for, for today. And we'll take a break for a few days. Wednesday and Thursday. We'll back, we're back on Friday. Um, check out the course, um, Outsmarting Antisemitism. You want to be part of it. We're doing a Zoom session. We're going to do a Zoom class Tuesday nights. And in person on Thursdays, you can choose, mix and match. Come to both and get it twice, whatever you want. Um, that's the Outsmarting Antisemitism. But you want to get in on that because it's unbelievable. That's one... Uh, that's October 26th and 28th. We have more stuff before that. We have um, uh, Sushi in the Sukkah next week. We have, of course, Learner Service on Yom Kippur, 10 o'clock um, in person. Outdoors, we also have, I don't know, I don't want to do all the announcements because my head's in a bit of a different space, but I do want to mention, I did have one thing. I want, oh, regarding Daily Power Parsha. So we're going to be concluding the Torah in the next few weeks and starting again. So I want to put out a few options. I don't, you don't need to tell me now, but I, I've had a few different thoughts. 
Um, we could either, you know, do DPP, keep on doing the way we're doing it with the focus that we're doing it, you know, the, the, the daily readings. We could also choose to mix it up a little bit. In other words, we'll have sessions every single day, same, same time, you know, the same. But maybe one of the days we'll focus on the Haftorah in addition to the Torah reading. The Haftorah yeah. is the... The Haftorah is the, uh, the, the section from the books of prophets, the books of the prophets that is read in synagogue after the Torah portion is read. There's a section from the, from the books of the prophets that is appropriate, that matches the Torah reading or somehow syncs up with the Torah reading that is, um, that's also read. We've never studied that. I don't think in any of the classes that I've taught we've ever had a systematic study of the weekly Haftorahs. So the question is, should we do that? Should we add that to the mix? So what we would do then, we would have to compress the, um, the, the, the Torah reading into, into a few days and then the Haftorah. We could also add other things. Anyway, I, I, I want to think about this open-minded. I also want to get a bit of a consensus. So you don't have to think about it. You don't have to answer today. You know, we could do one day this, one day that, one day something else. Think about it and let's, uh, let's pick it up Friday as when we discuss. Like, I know the Torah cycle starts anew, and that's good. But then you also wonder, what's the continuation of the story, of the Torah story? You know, like... Well, okay, so that would be, yes. So we could do that, right? The book of Joshua is the, is the next book, and it talks about Joshua's leadership and how he led them into Israel. Then you have the book of the judges, the, the subsequent leaders. We, we could do that. Like, this could spin off into um, Frazier. Anybody with me here? Come on, guys. Must see TV. There's like a spinoff. What was that? Cheers spun off into Frasier? Yeah. We could spin off from DPP into a, um, a class on, you know, we can continue going systematically. My thought was, it, not systematically, but um, the weekly Haftorah, which is picked from, from it's, not, it's not in the order, but it's just, you know... Uh, Does it address the same topic of the week? Somehow yeah. loosely connected, either tightly or loosely connected. But it's there was a, The reason why is there was a time in Jewish history where they were forbidden to read from the Torah. So they oh. chose other scriptures oh. to so read instead. Besides from other books. Correct. But it's not, not going to give us the chronological no. next stage of history. We could do that. It doesn't have to be at 12 o'clock on the weekdays. We could do it at a standalone class, go through those books. Listen, there's a lot of options, and really, Torah is so, so vast. So I... I I've got something... Got... Yeah. I'd like to throw it as, as an idea. Sure. It's an adjunct to this, though. Uh, in Hayom Yom, every, every day, Chumash uh, is specified what you should study. Tehillim is specified what you should, what you should study. And Tanya is specified what you should, what you should study right. for that day. For that day. Is that an idea? Yeah. To add, well, the Tillim is more recited than studied, but we could study the Tanya. Good. That's another suggestion. Maybe we add the daily Torah and we add daily power study. We rebrand it. It doesn't have to be only the power show. It could also have the, the Tanya of the day. Good. Ray, what do you have? Right. Yeah, I think the, the half Torah might be good. Okay. Get into the book of Judges. Then you, it's a new course. It's, it's a, new course, it's a new course, correct. Right. I think we've got a good thing going. And Okay, and good. I, I hear that. So let's let's pick up the conversation. I just wanted to drop some things. I've been thinking about this a lot. I wanted to drop some some ideas. Let's pick it up Friday. We'll, we'll, we'll save, like, let's say 15 minutes to, to schmooze about it. And that's it. We'll see. Okay, good. It's great seeing everybody. Yeah. We're going to continue to study together. That's for sure. That's a given. Right. Right. The right. question is, you know, add, modify, you know, whatever. We'll figure out what, what we're going to study. Okay. Um, I want to wish everybody a, a, an easy fast, a, meaning fa a meaningful fast, a gemar chasimatova. The, all the blessings that we've been written for on Rosh Hashanah indeed should be sealed and delivered, whatever that looks like in the... Uh, the higher chambers of the system, everything should be sealed for a year, a blessing and only blessing and reveal blessing for us and our loved ones and the whole world. And let us say, Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Have a Gmarxi Matova, as I just said.
Have an easy fast. Don't forget, eat a few meals tomorrow. Eat an early afternoon meal and a late afternoon meal. And then the fast begins, what, about 7? I should know this. Uh, somewhere close to 7.30. What is it? 7.25. 7.25, yeah, somewhere in that realm, somewhere in that range. Chabad and town calendar. You have to be careful with those Chabad guys, though. Do you trust? I'm kidding. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, seven, if it says 725, then we trust them. <laughs> yeah, I got you guys there for a second. 725-ish is the, the fast begins. We'll have services here, 730, I think, somewhere around there. Don't forget, uh, learner service outdoors. Guys, pray that the rain stay away. That's, that's going to be the prayers. We're, we're down to a... Um, oh, oh, okay. Oh, all right, I got to run. All right, we'll see you guys. Gemara Simatova. Take care. Bye, bye everyone.